0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen? You're listening to the West Buck Show and I'm your host, not surprisingly, West Buck. I tell you we fancy ourselves around here on providing the racing community with like wide-ranging, unfiltered conversation and conversation starting interviews with people who we believe are either making an impact on the sport of drag racing right now, have already done so. Or are in the process of doing so. That's why I suppose it's no surprise that we're joined today by the one and only Alex Laughlin. Fresh off a big win at the NHRA US Nationals in Indianapolis, and not too terribly far removed from another big win at uh, the biggest race in drag radio in the drag radio community, Lights Out 10, the anniversary race. It's uh, It's been a whale of a year for Alex, man. I actually started to see this. It was kind of felt like things were starting, you have those breakthrough years, and and you see people where they really start to get a full head of steam, they get some momentum, and it started at lights out, and it carried over to the season opening NHRA National, well excuse me, not season open for Pro Mod, I guess, but in Pro Stock, Alex went to the finals in Gainesville at the Gator Nationals, and then it just seems like he has been in the mix all year long, so without further ado, Alex, welcome to the show, man, this seems long overdue. Thanks, man. Glad to glad to be on it, finally. I know, dude. We, we've done tons of interviews, it seems like, but we've never done one here. And there's so much stuff for us to talk about, but I guess uh, it feels like we almost have to talk about the elephant in the room. You sealing the deal at the NHRA U.S. Nationals, man, in uh, what was just a really crazy emotional moment in all elite motorsports final you versus Erica Enders just two young guns in the sport of drag racing kind of let's let's just start with going to Indy and what that race kind of means to you you guys were just a little bit removed from the uh, grueling NHRA western swing but it felt like there was mm-hmm. a you seemed invigorated heading into Indy you seemed fired up
1: yeah, I was absolutely. Um, mainly because we were still, you know, holding down at least a top five spot, which was the goal going into Indy or leaving Indy um, to put us in a good spot, you know, for the last six races going into the countdown. Um, I really, I really um, kind of tricked myself into thinking um, that the Indy race you know, it's U S nationals, but to me, the bottom line had become, it's just, it's just another race. It's just one more race on the schedule. It's just the last race until we go into the countdown. And, you know, we've been battling back and forth, um, for the majority of the season, um, between second and third place points, you know, um, it's been, uh, Jason on my heels or Greg on my heels back and forth. And, uh, you know, we went to India in third, Bo was still checked out pretty far cause he got a good run on us, you know, in the first part of the season when he won, like, what was it? The first four races or something yeah. like that. And, uh, you know, um, just, just try to keep my head on straight, you know, and, and focus and do the best that I could. Um, you know, and lump gave me a good car. Um, you know, I, sound, I know that sounds super generic to say, but that's that's a big part of it. You know, that's that's 50% of the of the whole deal. You, you have to have a good cars, got to be fast, and then you know the driving aspect is is the other part. And so, for the most part, uh, we really just came together, and and we've been working really well together this year. Um, I will say, I've, and I've said a hundred times, I'm my own worst enemy. Um, I'm I'm harder on myself than anybody else. If If I'm late on the tree or if I miss a shift or something, trust me, nobody has to tell me anything about it because I've already beat myself up as much as
0: possible. And with uh, it's been a it's been an interesting season for you because it's one of those things in drag racing man this thing will humble you in a hurry right but you'd be like you'd be on your game and then the car would let you down or vice versa right exactly it was nice to be and I don't mean to fast forward to the end here but it was really nice to kind of just see like you said things come together like they did because. Just, you know, you're going into Indy. You you felt like Elite as as a whole operation needed. They needed a breakthrough moment. Like, hey, we need one of these cars in the final or two of these cars in the final. We need to go some rounds on race day. And that whole group over there, it's interesting to see. And I'm glad you brought up Lump. For those that uh, don't know, Brian Self, uh, lovingly known as Lump, is just this gunslinger of a crew chief. I love his kind of. It, he he takes this stuff very seriously but you you'd kind of be hard pressed to find that out by how lighthearted and jovial he is almost all the time right i mean he just he is a good time having dude but i felt like yeah. i could kind of watch from afar as everybody was kind of getting into their into their rhythm and it happened throughout the course of the weekend in any but come race day come monday afternoon all you guys seemed to be really clicking there was a lot of energy and enthusiasm i think that it was like a dog with a bone or something. You guys just had a scent, and it was so cool to see it end up with, you know, two elite cars in the final, you race racing Erica. Tell, take me – I mean, I don't mean to skip through all the elimination rounds, but I think that racing her in the final of Indy – at Indy, excuse me, that, that's, that's a moment, right? That's a moment in our sport.
1: Absolutely, and we were both just ecstatic to be able to be the two cars going to the final. And there's no doubt in my mind that we did have the two best race cars on race day. And, uh, you know, um, going up there, I knew that I had to be as good as I could ever be on the tree. Um, outrun runner. I was confident that we, we could run a little faster than her. Um, but I knew that I was going to have to be on top of my game too. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, quick flashback to Denver, um, when I rolled in and, and staged the bulb flickered and I'd already put it on the two step and it never latched on long story short, I ended up getting timed out and I lost first round. That's my only first round loss of the entire season so far. So it was a terrible weekend for us just all around. And then, you know, I rolled in and, and the bulb flickers when I staged, but it latched on and I thought I was good. In the second that she staged and we both put it on the two step my bulb flickered again. And I even have this brand new practice tree that lump had me get that has this distraction mode on it. And it, it'll do all kinds of weird things. It'll Those knock things the are top crazy. About. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. And so like, I've been really working on this thing, but I've never had something like that happen on race day or actually in, in real life. Right. And that bulb flickered and uh, it got my attention. I had immediate flashback to Denver and it freaked me out. Next thing I know, the tree drops, she's 007, and I'm dead late, you know, just basically sitting there watching her go down the racetrack for the majority of the way.
0: It's great. But, however, you, I, and I saw you beating yourself up about it. Even in the winter circle, I felt like you were having a hard time, like, accepting it. You know, I because was. Cause I could see like, man, Alex, like, shouldn't you be crying? Like, come on now, let's get, give me a little bit. But I could tell you were fighting it. And that's just the kind of dude you are. You hold yourself to a high standard and you wanted to go out there and win it. But I got to tell you, that's what is required. Like, as you know, you've won before, no matter where it is you've got to have a little bit of luck on race day. This stuff is For so sure. hard. People don't understand, I think, by and large, the difficulty of winning four rounds of eliminations in drag racing, no matter what class you're in. Hell, it's hard to win, like, four games of tic-tac-toe in a row, let alone yeah. a drag race, a pro-stock drag race, man. So I hope you've let yourself off the hook since then because you got to get there, right? you got to be there to win, and you certainly have earned the spot in the final round at Indy, man. It felt like with the, with the way bro shook out and the fact that you'd done all this work to bring in all these sponsors to be able to, you know, call everybody up on Monday or Tuesday, excuse me, and be like, Hey man, just one Indy for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, it, it was a good deal. And it, you know, it takes a lot of the weight off my shoulders too, for, you know, being winless and pro stock for, you know, almost two years now. Um, and, and it couldn't have been at a better time because every race that I go to, you know, I'm just thinking like, man, maybe this is the one, maybe this is the one I've already been to, you know, three other finals so far this year. And, you know, I've done the same thing, um, for other people, like I've, um, smoked a push rod in the burnout in Gainesville on the final and Bo literally just could idle down the racetrack to the finish line in the final for the win, you know? So like, yes, it happens. You do have to do something right a few times to be able to get to the final in general. But you know, whenever I compare it to the lights out when, you know, I'm double O four on the tree to Daniel Ferris's fifteen, you know, two great lights and then I beat him on a whole shot. It's like that is the best drag race, the best final that anybody could ask for ever. And so I guess from going from that final to the final in Indy <laughs> I was just a little let down, you know, and I know, and it hurt Erica so bad. And I hated that she was as good as she could possibly be all day. She had a great car all day. She won every single round because of how she drives and then to just have it all taken away like that. I mean, she's my friend and and my teammate, but let me tell you, I don't, I don't usually feel sorry for the people that we beat, but I
0: genuinely felt bad.
1: Just because it it just didn't work out her
0: way that day. Well, and it's and she's been fighting a lot of the same battles that you have. You know, just feeling like oh, I can see it; it's right there. We're we're this close from it, but it just continues to evade us. And hey, man, I uh, I think everybody can relate to to what you're talking about. Or, but you you deserve that, man. You deserve that moment. And it's really been a freaking breakout year for you as a whole. I mean, you've had success, no question, but this year has really been. Alex has been the big story. I mean, I think your diversity of the stuff you've been driving and all the different things you've done, you've really come out of your shell on all the social media stuff. You're front and center in so many different ways. And to couple that front and center kind of status with winning and being successful. I mean, dude, you're you're 20 points out of the lead in NHRA Pro Stock. Listen, I love drag radio racing, uh, and I love pro mod racing. I don't think that's any you know secret, but you can ask anybody that knows anything about drag racing. Pro Stock is hard. What's it like seeing, like pulling up NHRA.com, clicking around for like 47 minutes and finding the points? There it is, Alex Laughlin, number two in the NHRA Pro Stock points with like what, six races to go. I mean, you're in the hunt, brother. I know it almost just like,
1: it, like I literally have chills and goosebumps on my arms right now, just hearing you say it, <laughs> you know, cause I just, I don't know. I'm so lucky in general to even be racing pro stock period. You know, I had, uh, I had a meeting with Richard Freeman back in like 2013 or 2014 in Topeka, Kansas. I was there racing top dragster. And and just for whatever reason, you know, I got linked up with Richard and we were going to talk about what it would cost to run a season of pro stock. And when he told me, you know, what, what the actual price was turnkey, to the full deal. I, I walked out of that meeting with my head down, just thinking, I just felt so defeated. Like I'll never, I know for a fact, I'll never be able to let the clutch out on a pro stock car can't afford it. It's not going to happen and through some crazy crazy events you know ended up getting some sponsorship dollars to run a couple of races you know a couple turned into seven the next year i ran you know i think i think i ran all 24 in 2016 um and uh to be where i am now it's like man i just i can't help but just always look back to where i was in 2014 before any of this came about that I was just running super calm for top dragster, you know, um, just, just doing my thing. And then how far we've come in such a short amount of time. I mean, I'm just, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful, but I'm also just still shocked
0: (laughs) to be honest. Well, I mean, if you really think about it, man, there are people who have been beating their head against the, the proverbial pro stock wall for like eons, that have never had a fraction of the success that you've enjoyed in a relatively short amount of time, man. And that's, you know, a testament to you guys, uh, you know, and your, your determination to go be involved with a top flight program like Richard Freeman's. But I mean, it's, that is an incredible accomplishment because the, in this, I had this conversation with Steve Matusik, someone, another one of your team teammates recently. And he, he talked about the differences between it was a cool thing about we were comparing and contrasting pro stock and pro mod. And, he talked about how much he enjoyed the fact that like everyone has relatively like equipment and you know come race day all these cars are extremely close and the the burden falls squarely on the shoulder shoulders of the guy behind the wheel or gal and he just loves that that hey i can make or break this like if i do a good job we win. If I do a bad job, we lose. And it's, right. it's kind of a, it's, it's kind of rare because in, in some of these classes, and I, and I don't mean to shortchange anything, but if we're speaking frankly, like these cars are extremely hard to drive and 10, 20 RPM will make or break you. Is that what, That's right. did you know that? Did you know how hard this deal was before you got into pro stock? Is that what drew you to it? Or were you like taken by that once you arrived?
1: It was, it was all definitely the the level of competition that I've always known and followed my whole life in pro stock. Um, and I will admit the cars now are harder to drive than they were even then because when I started in 2015, we were still carbureted. And so our rev limiters were much above where we were supposed to actually shift and they were only there just for a safety precaution, right? So you'd rarely hit the chip shifting early almost wasn't even a thing because we're revving those things so high, you know, it'd be shifting at like 11,000 RPM. Um, where now exactly like you said, you've got to be 20 or 30 RPM. Um, within the shifts, otherwise you're going to hurt it. If you hit the chip and the momentum of the car kind of noses over, you've wasted the whole run. So and not to take anything away from ProMod because that's another class that I do love, but in ProMod, once you leave the starting line, you just hang on and you're just hanging on for dear life. Yeah. It's, it's a rush. It's scary. You know, it's in my opinion, the most dangerous uh, class in drag racing, but pro sock is a driver's class period. It doesn't matter if it's the starting line or going down track. Every single move you make matters. You've got to be light on the wheel. You know, you can't be aggressive, you know, trying to steer back and forth and whatnot. You know, they have no downforce and they're so lightweight. I mean, it's just a whole different animal. And it's the one class in drag racing that it's 50% car crew chief and the other 50% is the driver.
0: I mean, you see it all the time, like in top fuel or whatever, where, you know, I mean, there are stories about some of these drivers where, hey, you know, the crew chief would say, hey, listen, give me like a 60, 70 light and I got you. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. we, you know, give me a decent light, get us close, and we will we'll put you in the winner's circle. And there's, I mean, that's an absolute rarity in pro stock. I mean, and it's crazy to think how good these guys are leaving off a clutch. Like you, t- you start to talk about you know the Erica Enders and the Greg Andersons and the Boba. I mean, it's, I mean, yourself being that good all the time with a clutch, it's. Man, it, it really, I don't know that we could really say it enough how difficult the class is. And I kind of feel a little bit of responsibility to talk about it more because the, it, pro stock, I don't feel for years, it's like, oh, you know, throw dirt on them. That deal's over. Pro stock's dead. It, it feels like the class has stabilized and maybe is on the upswing. I don't know how to keep that happening, and but the only thing I know to do is have this conversation more frequently. That these cars are really hard to drive, and the people who do it are few and far between. The people who do it well are few and far between. Yeah, there's
1: no doubt, and I you know I get it from some of the fans' perspectives because the prototype cars don't go 300 miles an hour and they don't blow up and blow fire, but. Like you say, when you know, when you understand what we're doing with the cars as a driver, as an engine development program, we're taking 500 cubic inches and we're turning it well over 10,000 RPM, naturally aspirated. Like when you really understand what these cars are doing, it's a whole nother level of appreciation. So that's why the, the people that do like pro stock love pro stock.
0: There's no middle ground on it, right? I mean, people who care about it, like live it and breathe it. I'm curious, considering all the success that you've had with with su- acquiring sponsors and, and having like really high level major league corporate sponsors and, and partners, how has it, what has the, the, how has it been to sell Pro stock to? You know, Haviland or Hot Wheels or any of these other uh, the boat company. I can't think of the name right off the top of my head. Tiger boats. Yeah, I always say it wrong. That's why. Um, but you, <laughs> you think everybody about how you sell that to them to people like that? How do you do you do you bring them some in car footage? Do you bring them out to the racetrack or what's what's your pitch look like? Yeah, you know, I've got a, a pretty
1: decent looking, like uh, professional looking uh, media deck for sure. A lot of my stuff is my own social media. I don't really, um, pitch a whole lot of the TV stuff because, you know, it's, it's hard to say what we do or what we are going to get, you know, obviously, yeah, we are on Fox sports, um, you know, and, and we do get coverage and whatnot, but yeah, same thing. Like these cars aren't, aren't, um, going 300, not blowing up and it's not exactly what everybody wants to see. Um, but they are cool you know,
0: they do sweet burnouts for sure. Right. And, oh, yeah, uh, man. A you know, burnout, just... like a 500 inch pro stock engine coming out of the water box is like amongst the sweetest songs of all time.
1: If you're telling me, I, and even, you know, whenever I'm up on the starting line, that's one of our team cars during the burnout. That's even one of my favorite parts to watch. Um, but yeah, you know, I just, uh, I, I explained the class, you know, and I really just try to sell myself, um, more than anything, you know, there's, there's no doubt also that, you know, you can run a season of pro stock for a third of what it costs to run a, a, nitro car. So, you know, it's also that kind of a pitch too. So it kind of works both ways. It's like, Hey, you can spend, you know, this, we'll just put a number on it and say a hundred thousand dollars, you know, for a couple of races, um, in pro stock. Or you know we can do, you can try to spend you know six hundred thousand dollars for a couple of races in uh, Top Fuel, so you know you know where where do you want to go?
0: <laughs> I mean what so for you like as you kind of navigate this new landscape we live in with you know all the digital media stuff and the social stuff. How whatever, what are you, what do you feel like the, the, your partners are looking for like a Hot Wheels and Haviland? What what is it that they're looking for in this day and age? Because I think. You know, you obviously have a really, really solid track record with brokering these incredible business-to-business deals. You've had a lot of success with that. But, I, you know, we get so much, uh, you know, so many questions here at Drag Illustrated and like, hey, what do we got to do to get a sponsor? And that's such this crazy, hard-to-answer question. But I'm curious, in this day and age, and we hear it all the time, like, oh, it's more than just a sticker on the car. I mean, what do you? whenever you go to those companies, what are they looking for? Like, what do they want from you? Well, to start out, um, as
1: far as acquiring the sponsors, I'm just going to be completely honest. The way it works is, is, it's not even. I heard one time it's not about net worth; it's about network. Yes, sir. And it is, it all matters on about what your network is, and it, and that means it's all about who you know. And so I've been lucky enough to have met and been around the right people um, in the right places to have the opportunity to get these media decks and, uh, and whatnot to the right person from there. You know, they say there's a sponsor for everybody. Um, but you know, for me, I think my leverage has just been that, you know, I've never really been in it in any trouble, um, you know, clean cut, you know, always act right. And that goes a long way because for sure, you know, somebody like hot wheels doesn't want their branding on the car of somebody that's going to be, you know, using profanity, you know, acting like a fool. Um, and, uh, so just, just being, um, you know, clean and clear. I think that goes a long way for sure. You know, um, I poke fun at the street outlaws guys sometimes talking about, you know, their only sponsorship they could get is like fruit of the loom for wife beaters. But, uh, that still goes back to the point that, you know what, there is a sponsor, for everybody. And so it's just uh it depends
0: on what kind of person you are. Uh, depends on what kind of brand to go after. Well it it is an interesting thing, man, and it, it feels like I have conversations all the time with the uh marketing types, and it's funny because I think that what people or what these massive corporations, these Fortune five hundred companies, a lot of what they're looking for is like content, right? They need To be telling their story somehow some way on social media or across digital platforms and they can use people like you as a way to tell that story right let people know what we're about what we're up to the things that we support the things we're involved in and it's it's way beyond like embroidering a logo on a shirt or sticking a decal on a car there's this whole other thing of of using you as a vehicle to tell stories and, and create content. So I think you've done an awesome job this year of like letting people into your life, letting people see what, a you know, your days look like and the things that you're doing and letting, you know, the racing masses kind of live vicariously through you because you're always doing cool stuff or funny stuff, riding a bird scooter two hours to the racetrack and in <laughs> like you put yourself out there and it's funny and we laugh, right? But you, you kind of have to do that stuff, right? I mean, you have to be doing something trying to tell a story trying to get people to chuckle or create some sort of emotional connection with you and I think it's exciting because I really don't feel like Haviland sponsors a Camaro or Hot Wheels sponsors a Camaro they sponsor Alex Laughlin and I think people lose sight of that right they don't they don't understand what we're trying to say like these are relationships between Alex and those companies It doesn't matter if he's driving a Ford a Chevy, a Promod car, a Pro stock car it's Alex Laughlin that they have created a relationship with.
1: That's hundred percent. Right. And that still goes back to like I was saying earlier is more than trying to sell the car, um, or the program of pro stock, it's selling myself. Um, and yeah, you know, with the whole bird scooter thing <clears throat> or whatever it is I'm doing, I want to relate to the people and I want to do it in a different way than everybody else. I just feel like so many people these days are just so generic you know, whenever they get out of their car and just, you know, and the things that they say and the things that they do. So I just take a completely different approach. Um, not saying it works every time, you know, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I've had, had some success for sure. And uh, I don't know, it's,
0: that's just my style and sticking to it. Well, I'm and I'm going to switch. I'm going to bounce around here a little bit because that's just what I do. But I I, I tend to always turn these deals into like racer self help classes, and I and I think a lot of people really appreciate it, and they they dive right in. But I do want to cover as many things as I can. There was something that happened earlier this year that I thought was. It was an exciting moment, but it felt difficult in some regards. When you won uh, down in Valdosta, Georgia, down at uh, the the house that Duck built, Donald Long's uh, now legendary Lights Out 10, you put your uh, blue Corvette in the winner's circle, and it was a whale of a couple of days, right? That event, everybody knows, it's a war of attrition. I mean, just being there come race day is like a significant accomplishment because you've, you know, clearly have enough spare parts and you've got enough, you know, manpower to keep things up and running. But when that winter circle moment happened, there was this, at least for me, it was like this shining, like glaring absence. Your dad wasn't there, and I knew that was hard because you know he's always with you when you race and it was just everybody knows that that race is kind of long and drawn out and it really to be honest I can relate to your dad saying hey we may not only make like one run per 48 hour stretch so i'm going to stay home and take care of business and i and i saw it you jump on the phone and 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 call him and i just want to compare and contrast like Seeing his reaction, your mom's reaction, Sierra's reaction, having all of them be there at the U.S. Nationals when you got the job done, can you take me through, like, the differences, or did it feel like, okay, thank God I got him one?
1: Yeah, there's no no doubt for sure, um, especially all of them. My dad, he comes to almost every single race. You know, my mom comes to, you know, probably, like, every four or five, something like that. And then, uh, my wife, Sierra, she comes to about half of them. So the fact that they were all there, it was perfect timing for sure, because you can only imagine as much as we travel, as much as we're on the road and away from home that for them to be there and to experience the win and the celebration and just all of the, just all of the good that came with that. That's what, that's what makes them really understand. This is what it's about. You know, it's like, it's like, you're going to battle every single weekend, you know, and they just, if you, if you don't completely just grow up doing it, it, it's hard to understand. It's like, why put yourself through that? You're gone so much, you know, and, uh, and it makes, it makes things hard. There's, there's no doubt about it. But like I said, for them to all be there, that for sure helps put it into perspective or bring it back as a reminder of like, this is this is why we do it you know just uh even the whole team um aside from you know my family for for them getting to see my team and the joy and and just happiness that it brought over everybody i mean that's that's something that that we created you know on that day and uh it's good. It's a rewarding feeling to be able um, to do that for somebody, for sure.
0: I've talked about this before, but like, if you haven't experienced—and I've got chills talking about it—if you haven't experienced that golf cart ride down the return road to, to pick up, you, you know, the driver after after a final round victory, if you haven't experienced that, it's really hard to put into words because it's there's so much work that goes into this stuff, and it's so. Hard, like when it's—it's not just like winning is hard or being successful, but just it's hard to pay for it. It's hard to deal with all the personalities. It's hard to deal with the travel. This is a rough, rough go of it. I mean, there are probably way easier things to do as a hobby, or, or it, hobbies that would be your like uh, frequency of success is much higher, right? I mean, you're you're talking two years between pro stock wins, but if you once you've experienced that and you've felt somehow invested or that you played a role or played a part you can see how intoxicating it is like it's they always joke about like the worst thing that can happen to someone is you know winning you know at blackjack or winning at a, a slot machine or the lottery cuz you'll you'll spend yourself silly trying to do it again you'll go broke trying. trying to replicate that feeling and even being A few layers removed, but having feel—I feel—I don't know. I mean, I don't mean to, like—I feel somewhat invested in your career, Alex. I mean, I've just—I've been a big fan. You know, we've tried to fan the flame as much as we could as just here is a—here is proof that drag racing does indeed have a a new—a next generation. There's a whole new crop of superstar personalities, right? Here they are, right here. And to see that whole deal unfold, not only in Valdosta, but, you know, last weekend in Indianapolis, man— it is it's an intoxicating thing to to be even you know somehow remotely involved in success on the drag strip man and i'm i'm curious so what was like your mom what was their feedback and your sierra's feedback in the days you know since has it been like oh okay i get it let's let's go try to do this again in Reading? it's yeah i mean
1: <clears throat> i've just been reminded by them and uh and text messages too from uh the rest of my team just throughout the week it says like hey man I just wanted to remind you that, uh, you're the U S nationals champ, you know, and and it's, and it's cool. It's been, everybody's been super supportive. Um, you know, I mean, is it the biggest win of my career? You know, that's another question that I've been asked a lot. Um, professionally, 100%. Yeah. Um, the, the lights out win again, just because of how it happened. Um, that was, that was, it's a toss up between the two of them. Um, but, uh, yeah, my mom and Sierra though, it's, it's, like I said, it's important for them to see it from that angle, because even whenever I first started running pro stock, you know, my mom didn't go to the first several races and, you know, when she finally did make it to her first pro stock race, she's sitting there in the back of the pit and she said, you know, I was always kind of getting annoyed with, you know, how little I heard from you guys when y'all were on the road and whatnot. And she says, but now that I'm here and I'm seeing like what's going on and how busy everybody is and just just the whole deal, she's like, I get it. She said, you know, that she wasn't getting back to people as easy either. And it's like it's like an absolute tornado from the time you walk into the gate until, you know, the final round um, that
0: evening. It so, is, yes, dude. there's there's a lot to it. It's crazy because I've actually struggled to kind of articulate that um, to, to my wife, Alicia, and to other people in my life. They're like, man, you kind of go radio silent, and it's you don't even mean to, and you, like, find yourself, like, responding to one and not 12 others. And it's not just – it's just, like, where you get caught because, I I mean, I see it with you as well, like – Every 10 steps at the racetrack, you're bumping into, like, an old friend or someone you haven't seen since three races ago, and or it's loud. You've got your fingers in your ears, or – you know what I mean? It's just not a place that's super conducive to communication, right? Right. Half Um, the time, your phone doesn't work. Right, especially with the places we go. My goodness. Some of these places are, like, uh, black holes for technology. But (laughs) it's – you know, it it really is an incredible thing, man, and I'm glad – I'm curious, just – As you think about this being the season that you've had so far, like, is this, I mean, obviously the ultimate goal, win a world championship, and obviously you're very well on your way, man. I mean, you're, you are in the thick of things. You're going to have your hands full. There's a whole lot of, you know, really good hot rods and really good drivers and teams that you're going to have to contend with. But I'm just curious, like, is this for you as a, you know, professional athlete is this where you want to be, or I mean, or do you have aspirations beyond this? Because it's really cool to see someone as visible as you are and you know, as successful as you've been, be in pro-mod, pro-stock, drag radio, because sometimes it feels like our star's next crop of, of, of superstars or whatever are kind of relegated to Top Fuel and Funny Car, right? And I'm just curious, like, is this kind of where you want to be? Is this ticking all the boxes for you?
1: You know, that's, that's a really a good question because in the previous years, I, I did want to run nitro or top fuel, <clears throat> um, plenty car never really had a huge interest in that. Um, but I, you know, I did for a while kind of, kind of chase that, you know, whenever I got into the alcohol dragster, um, you know, it's the same size and shape as a top fuel car. It's, it, it actually was a top fuel car. Um, and so that's the direction that I was, I was trying to go at the time, but then between the pro stock deal and then the radio versus the world stuff, you know, people, people started asking me like what my deal is with the door cars, you know? And, uh, and then like somebody called me like some door car extraordinaire one time and I've never thought about it, but right then I, I did. And I, and I thought that is what I like. That's that's what I want to do. I like racing cars with working doors. Um, not because the doors work on them obviously, but that's just the kind of
0: car that I like being in. Um, and they're all different. Well, and they're cars that look like cars, man. I think from your, you know, your salesman perspective as a, as someone who's seeking to engage with, you know, fans or whatever, there's still having that element that you can use that as an olive branch, like, Hey, I don't really know Alex, but he's a Camaro guy or a Chevy guy. And that, and I am too, like, that's a way to kind of snag someone and and win them over.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and, and, personally, I like all of them, right. You know, whether, whether it's a, a Ford or a Chevrolet, either one, but, uh, no, the, the door car thing is, is what I like. Um, And uh, to say that I don't want to move up to nitro of any sort, um, it's not because I'm just content with where I am. I'm happy with where I am. You know, people people ask often, do you ever want to move up? And it's almost offensive. (laughs) You know what I I mean?
0: It's It's so glad to hear you say that. I mean, I
1: feel the same mm -hmm. way exactly. Like move up from where to what, you know, like the, like the car that we're racing right now are the baddest door cars on the planet. Okay. So for what they are, they are the top of the line. So yeah, I mean, I, to move up, maybe I could move into another category. Like I said, they cost three times as much, but that to me, that isn't moving up like where I am. I feel like I'm at the top, and so that's why I feel like, and I've worked so hard for it, you know, like, so hard for so many years, and then somebody says, do you ever want to move up? <laughs> it's like, man,
0: you have, no you have no idea what you're saying right now. It's true, though, and I, I honestly think, and this is a little bit of a different conversation, but I think we're fixing to have it, is... Pro Stock, Pro Mod and 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 really to, you know, in mean, no no lesser extent, you know, outlaw drag radial or radial versus the world, whatever you want to call it. These are classes that I believe can now in some ways like support a sponsored pro-level driver such as yourself. I'm curious and we'll we'll bounce around on these topics a little bit cuz I'd like to pick your brain as to I mean, what is what do your sponsors say? Like what do they make of it is a victory at you know, lights out 10, does that, does that register to those people? Do they understand, do they see the kind of seismic impact that it has on social media? Are they tuned in to the like, Hey, or does it go back to what we were talking about where whatever you do, they're going to support.
1: It's both. It's a hundred percent both. And I've said it a million times, like they aren't with me for winning races. Um, the, the wins are bonuses for sure. That's, that's just the, the, when it gets the absolute best. Yes. There's, there's always a little more of an influx on social media um, with things being shared and all the extra stories and whatnot. So yeah, that's good for everybody for sure. Um, Win or lose, they don't, they don't care as much. Um, Are they invested um, monetarily with their business and brand? Yes, but they also are as themselves. So, you know, most of my sponsors, they watch the races, on TV, you know, they still follow me on social media. They check in, how's it going? Good luck, you know, all of this stuff. So it's not like they're just, uh, you know, sending a check over and saying, Hey, go have fun do your deal. You know, <laughs> right, um, right. we actually, we actually have a good rapport and a friendship.
0: It's an awesome thing, man. I'm curious, what do you, whenever you look at the, the landscape of drag racing right now, like well here's a great one they just announced the reduced schedule for pro stock uh or excuse me the new 2020 schedule for pro stock 18 races as was the case this year how has that uh what do you make of that whole situation Are are you enjoying this kind of less is more thing how do you think it's impacted the sport
1: well i love the racing and i'd probably race every single weekend if i could um with that being said um i would probably be divorced. (laughs) So the, the less, the less is, is good, but also on another, um, aspect for me, for being a lower budget team, you know, I can't afford to pay for all this stuff out of pocket. So I have to have the sponsors. So the less amount of races that I can run and still compete for a championship, that's more for me, you know, because it's going to cost me, you know, right at like $300,000 less, um, to be able to run, um, six less races each year and still have a shot at the championship. So I'm a fan of it, but also it, it does open up, um, a few extra weekends for me to go and run the lights out races. Um, you know, the radial stuff or no prep, which I'm trying to get into a little bit. So it, uh, it helps me, um, with my, uh, diversity as
0: well. Do you think that Pro Mod with their 12 race schedule and the visit. The class seems to have a ton of momentum. There's a lot of, you know, kind of breaking news type of stuff with some changes to the program. They're talking about increased round money, some increased visibility, a little more inclusion with the, the NHRA's mellow yellow kind of premier categories. What, what's your take on the pro mod scene right now? Obviously, it's a very competitive kind of dog eat dog world over there right now. You guys have uh, been spearheading a new engine program with with Elite Motorsports, Elite Performance. What's your take on the pro mod scene right now?
1: I think it's the biggest that it's ever been, and it's continuing to get that way. Um, with that being said, it's it's costing more and more also um, for. These teams to be competitive. Um, a lot of the uh, pro mod drivers in NHRA have come from the eighth mile racing and whatnot. That's more of a of a true sportsman category. To now having to spend a lot more money um, to be able to be competitive, but also it's it's made the category. I'm going to use the term pro stock ish because we're still running super close. I mean the fields are tight. Um, plenty of races are won on the starting line, um, even in pro mod, but then it's, I I think it fits so well because it's that happy balance between, you know, the nitro cars that I said, that go so fast and blow up and and blow fire and all of that. Um, and it's still in a door car. So, I mean, I've been 259.98 miles per hour in a car with doors on it, you know, in 5.7 seconds. And that's, that's insane. Um, It it is, it doesn't, it doesn't, like I said before, and absolutely not to discredit the class, but it doesn't take as much to drive that car. Um, But from a spectator side, um, I think people, I think people love it. And, uh, and it's, and it's on such an uprise right now that people, people are going to be sold just on pro mod being able to come to the races and watch the pro mod cars because they're so unpredictable. You have no idea what's going to happen. And they're so diverse. The cars range from, you know, 68, 69, um, Camaros to, you know, 2018, 2019, uh, Camaros or whatever, whatever it be. There's dusters. I mean, they all look different and there's so many different power riders. It's just, the class in in one
0: word is just full blown badass. Period. It is. <laughs> That's man. just what it is. I mean, and I've argued before that it's like the universal language of drag racing because if you look around the globe, this is a class pro modified that is compete contested on a, at a high level with a large inventory of cars all around the world. Man, pro mods big in Australia. It's all across the Middle East, Europe. I mean, it's it's. I mean, Canada, of course. It's such a big It's weird because it's, like, big and small simultaneously. And I think really what it is is it's cult-like. The people that are involved in this deal are hardcore. They travel a lot. They bounce all over. And it feels like the class as a whole, it's been growing, 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 growing. And it feels like maybe in 2020, with some of the changes they're making to allow more cars in, treating it like a professional category where there's no grade point requirement. If you want to show up and race pro mod, all you got to do is buy a tech card. You know, you're you're a pro exactly. racer. And I'm I'm excited and like simultaneously nervous because it does feel like we've just been tiptoeing kind of this razor's edge of going too far and I don't maybe you can't go too far but you're exactly right I've talked to tons of drivers team owners crew chiefs and the financial situation that exists with ProMod I mean this used to be a class that people you know they called it affordable or especially compared to pro stock or top fuel or funny car no longer the case this deal That's is right. insane I mean you need incredible high level manpower you need tons of parts you need high level parts you got to have killer equipment. It, and you still may suck for a long time. That's right, and it's that's hard for a lot of people to embrace. And I, you know, I asked like Stevie Jackson. He was like, "Oh, it just fires me up more." And and I hope that's the case, but I do fear a little bit that there is going to be some casualties to this. Like it's gotten so competitive, it takes so much that you just wonder, you know, are we going to have thirty-five cars or whatever? I Because mean, I felt like we already have seen it a little bit from two thousand eighteen to two thousand nineteen. You see some people disappear, some you know some changing of the guard if you will and i just wonder if we're going to see that continue in 2020 because it's and i don't mean to smack negative like i'm the hopelessly optimistic dude that's you know i don't want to you know i've i got my rose-colored glasses on still but there's like a harsh reality that this thing is headed towards crazy well it's already there
1: yeah and i'll i'll agree completely and just even on the exact same note while we're saying, you know, ProMod right now is at the is at the highest it's ever been, um, as far as a category. It also, you know, you have to you have to wonder where does it peak? Are we at the peak? Is it gonna level off? Is it gonna continue to go up or is it gonna go down? And it's 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 a very unsure and uncertain time right now because you do have people that do have these huge budgets that are coming over into pro mod. It's not a sportsman class anymore. So the, you know, whether NHRA calls it a sportsman class, that's, you know, how yeah, they classify matter. it. That does not matter because those cars are pro cars. You know, they've, they've got budgets of, you know, millions of dollars a year, just in equipment alone. If you want to go and buy a brand new rolling chassis, you're going to spend $200,000 period you know, and then that's before you even put the motor and transmission and all that stuff in it. So, you know, to go to the racetrack, your initial hit on having one car with no spares, it's going to be over $300,000 and you don't even have a truck and trailer yet. Right. So there's, there's just so much money that goes into it. And so all the, all the guys that don't have the best parts or the spare parts and everything, there's no doubt that they're going to, they're going to start kind of fading out. You know, we qualify 16 cars. There's 28 that show up. So do the math there. You're thinking, man, I'm going to have to outrun 12 other cars in qualifying. You know, I don't have as good of stuff as, you know, half of these guys. So my chances aren't super good. You know, I know I'm not going to qualify in the top 10. So I'm really just kind of hoping for that you know, 13 through 16 spot. You know what? I'm, I'm going to skip it. I'm just going to, I'm going to stay home this weekend, you know? And, uh, I, I hate, um, for that to happen, but I know it is happening. I know it's happening right now, but the question is, is is how bad is it going to be? And are there, is there going to be more support, you know, coming in to fill it? So it's just really unknown right now.
0: Well, it's you're, you're right, man, because I kind of feel that same thing, like starting to happen. And you just go, dude, how long can this continue? And it's an exciting thing because, you know, I think it's the coolest. I love pro-modified drag racing. I think it represents, like, if we had, as a sport, like, a best foot to put forward, pro-mod is it on so many from the colorful characters and, like you mentioned, all the different types of cars and the power adders, old cars, new cars, everything in between. It's, It's an awesome, awesome thing. And I can only hope that you know, the inclusion of maybe some, some cars from other, you know, from other sanctions and series, that that would help us, you know, that if we do have some people that kind of start racing a, a limited schedule or only dabbling, you know, when it's close to home and stuff like that, I'm hoping that we'll pull some other cars from other series now that there's not, you know, as many, uh, what what do you say, as much red tape or as many hoops to jump through to get involved, maybe that yes. will, you know, fill the the pipeline up. You know, like in the sales business, I always ask like our guys like what's in your pipeline? What's in your pipeline? Who are you developing? Who are you working, you know, developing relationships with? And it's kind of the same thing. Like we need Promod is going to need a pipeline of cars and and tuners and and people from other sanctions and series to keep this thing healthy. And the bigger part of it that I kind of wonder is if the class is going to What happens if there is more exposure? And all of a sudden, because, I mean, what happens if, like, a DSR, like Don Schumacher Racing or Coletta or whatever, not to say that this could happen but or is going to happen, but it could. One of those teams could, you know, see the class starting to get more exposure, maybe see a business opportunity. Hey, let's put together a two- or three-car team. We can rent these these seats cheaper than we can. A funny car might be easier. Then it's like, holy crap, what happens after that, you know? Because it's already happened with Freeman and Elite Motorsports to a certain extent
1: right. Yeah. And you, you can only imagine, you know, and that goes back to bringing the big budgets, you know, and, and you can run those cars with, with, you know, significantly less people than a nitro car, you know, you go through significantly less parts and whatnot. And so, um, I think it could be a good opportunity for some of those, uh, mega teams, um, to get into the category. Um, But also, like you said, too, you know, you've got a lot of the local racers that want to go that may want to pop in and go to a couple of the races that are closer to home. Well, without getting into all of the politics and, and the red tape that you had to go through to do it, you know, in the previous years, next year and so on, they won't have to do that. So we may get some of those guys that, hey swap up the gear ratios, you know, um, in your, uh, in your car there. And instead of running eighth mile this weekend, you know, we're going to the NHRA race and we're going to run a quarter mile. Um, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully that's the case. And, uh, you know, there's no doubt that whenever somebody that's been running, um, just some of the local, um, pro mod events, if they get to an NHRA national event with their car and get to go through the whole thing, I'll tell you what, If they're borderline, like trying to just make it or afford it, they will figure it out and figure out how to come back
0: again because it's a whole different. Whole different experience for sure. Well, you've you've experienced all sorts of stuff in drag racing, and I think that it would be a disservice to our listeners if we didn't touch a little bit about you know on some of the 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 hot button subjects you've been involved with lately. What do you think uh, about this the no prep scene? And there's been obviously all sorts of high drama, and I guess it probably started with the Discovery Channel matchup between you and Justin Big Chief Shear, right? So right. You, you were kind of portrayed as like the, the, I don't want to say bad guy, but kind of like, well, in a way, right? I mean, you were like the big money, high budget, you know, family money type of thing, spoiled rich kid, and I think that you've had to contend against that TV persona that was kind of, put a up, forced upon you, uh, over the course of the last couple of years. And it's kind of culminated in this whole no prep situation where you guys built a car right to go race, no prep. Mm-hmm. And then kind of found out later that they weren't going to allow it in for whatever reason.
1: Yeah. And even to go back to the first race, yeah. Against with uh, big chief that was on their TV show, you know, so just rolling into it from the very beginning, I was the bad guy. Yep. period, you know? And then, yeah, they, they definitely kind of, um, portrayed me as, you know, in a way that, that could be, you know, seem like I was the spoiled rich kid or
0: whatever they try
1: Though We all know now that's not the case. Right. But so for so many people, I didn't get to start, you know, with my first impression, just neutral, you know, and try <laughs> to build it positive. I was on the negative side. Right. And so I, I've had to like Win everybody back over back to neutral before I can even start moving in a positive, um, direction. I think that what they're doing in the no prep deal is a good thing. I think the TV show has been good for drag racing also. Um, and to be completely honest, I get along with the majority of those guys. Um, whenever I, you know, like to poke at them on social media and whatnot, I'm not as much poking at them as I am their fans because their fans are so diehard and, and invested in their people. And they're the ones that, uh, that I like toy with, because they just, they just go crazy, you know? And, uh, I I just think, I think it's, it's fun, but I do have a good relationship with a lot of those guys. I actually, um, was texting back and forth with chief last night, um, congratulating him on his win out there at, uh, Denver at the no prep Kings deal. So we do, we do get along for the most part. There's a couple of those guys that, uh, you know, their heads are just a little bit big. Um, you know, like Chuck, for example, I'll just say it. (laughs) Um, but, uh, other than that, you know, I mean, they're, they're good guys. And the bottom line is they have the same passion that I do. We all love racing. It's all relative. And, uh, we're just trying to do the best we can with what, with, with, what we've got
0: period. Well, it's, I mean, and it's kind of like, in some ways I'm, I applaud it. Cause I'm like, you know what we need? People that have differences and, and I actually talked to a television producer one time that and this actually hasn't been that long long ago, they said the biggest problem with like professional drag racing has nothing to do with like the the on track product. It's that everyone is so nice and that everyone is so squeaky clean that it's hard to make like exciting television out of it. No one wants to hurt everybody, anyone's feelings, everybody's friends, everybody's, you know, brothers and sisters work for that guy and work for this guy. And it's just so kind of intermingled that it's it's really hard to make it. You know, super interesting. You can't get that MTV real world vibe or whatever that, you know, drama and controversy or whatever else. Because, hey, everybody's pretty good friends. Everybody gets along or whatever. So I applaud a lot of the those street outlaw guys, their willingness to just kind of say whatever they think. Consequences be damned, you know, and and sometimes play into the drama. And I, I feel like you've done a good job of doing that same thing. Right. You've you've played into it enough. You know, you haven't sacrificed your image you know, that like the aforementioned, you know, clean cut dude from Texas, you know, that all your sponsors know and love, but you've also played ball a little bit. And I think it's been great, man. I mean, you got to have good guys and bad guys, black hats and white hats. You have to have that, you know, and for sure you've, you've dived into it, but it has been crazy. And you're right. The, the fans of that whole scene, the street outlaw show, the no prep King show are hardcore as hardcore as they come. And it's been but it's a very different group of people than like traditional drag racing fans, at least in my opinion,
1: it is, it is totally. Um, And it's not even, it's a lot of people that may not have even really been drag racing fans. And what they're chasing is, and this is just the world we live in is the drama. And when the show came on, it was different. You know, it had, it had drama, but it was about street racing, you know, and, and people became, um, intrigued, um, but everything these days is—is is, you know what happened with you know Miley Cyrus or Taylor Swift, who she dating? What happened with you know who she was dating and all that? And so people people are just so intrigued by the drama. And I'll be hundred percent—we don't have that in the NHRA. Like, yeah, I'll call it professional drag racing, and and it's not because it's professional racing. The people and the drivers they're all too professional, just like you're saying, there's, there's not a lot of back and forth, you know, uh, John force drops the F bomb on national television and the internet went crazy. He wasn't even mad, right? He wasn't even, no, he was was just pumped up talking, right. And it slipped out. And, and then it's like, that's, that was the top NH NHRA story for the next, you know, seven or eight days. So, people, people like, you know, change and, and, and that's why I in am in a drama and that's why I, you know, poke at, at the street outlaws a little bit because, but there's a balance, you know, like don't take it too far. Don't be unprofessional. Like I'm still professional enough, you know? So I, I never take it too far. I've got borders obviously, you know, but, uh, but I still like, like creating the drama as well because you know, I post something on there. I look at, you know, Facebook the next day and it's been shared, you know, 500 times. Whenever I just post about, you know, like, hey, you know, got a race coming up this weekend. Can't wait. Super
0: pumped. 12 likes. You know, no, nobody cares. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. I, I but think what it is, like- is, dude, is, and I don't think, and I've, I've thought a lot about this, is that it's not cussing. It's not calling someone names. It's demonstrating how much you care like yeah. and i think that's what drag like i need guys to say i need guys to cuss i need guys to flip out i need guys to cry i need helmets to get thrown i need gloves thrown whatever like because in really it just need there has to be some mechanism in place to let people know how much this means to you right because a lot of times we see like a runner up you know come over and you know Ron caps comes over and I don't mean to pick on Ron caps but we're close enough that I hope he won't take this personally but you know Ron caps <laughs> loses in the final at indy to to Matt Hagan and he walks over there and fist bumps Matt and says good job or whatever and walks off and you know they interview him well you know we're still you know, number two in the points, and we got all those points in qualifying. It's like, no, dude, you need to be pissed. I need you to be mad. I need you to hate that guy. You just lost, like, the Intercontinental Championship in pro wrestling. You know, kick something, flip over a table, something. Show us that you care. And I think John Force does that. That's really been part of the secret sauce for that guy is that you don't have to look very hard. You don't have to pull – you know, you're not going to have to look for very long on YouTube to find a clear-cut example that John Force – really means it like he yeah. lives and dies for this stuff and he demonstrates it all the time
1: it's his passion and he's very clear about that he doesn't have to tell you it's his passion you see it
0: you see it you know i mean and it's and that's what sometimes when we you know the the media and people make fun of like these winter circle interviews where we thank all the great guys back at the shop and all those wonderful sponsors you know that you got to do a certain amount of that but you, you have to let people know how much you care because I say this so frequently that it's painful, but they always say you can tell how good an insurance salesman is by how much coverage he has on himself, right? Like he's got to <laughs> believe in it. And if he doesn't believe in it, no one else is going to, I preach it to everybody around me. Like if we're not excited, no one else is going to be excited and that's you have sure. to be excited, man. And that's something that I see in you, whether you're going to a race or leaving a race or whatever you I love the way you, you wear your heart on your shirt sleeve, man. I think you're a phenomenal ambassador for the sport of drag racing. And it warms my heart to know that I've said this many times, but I don't want, I hate, I would hate to see, you know, someone like you leave pro stock, pro mod, you know, drag radial to go top fuel racing. Like Stevie Jackson talks about that all the time. Like, don't ever leave the keys in one of them funny cars. Cause I'll be in that thing. And I'll be like, nope, I will yank you out of that thing so quickly because I'm, I'm glad that there's this whole scene of, of rock stars right here in door slammer drag racing. And obviously I'm biased. I love this stuff, but I really think if we're going to keep the sport headed in the right direction and get more people involved, I really think door car racing's where it's at. Not that nitro, I mean, those guys are going to be mad at me. Nitro racing's awesome. It's this big spectacle and 300 miles an hour and header flames and 14,000 horsepower, whatever number they made up today. And it's like, that's great, but it's so far gone. It's so expensive that I just don't know if it's a real, realistic vehicle for the growth of drag racing. I just don't know that it is. And then I look at what the street outlaws are doing. You know, Chief is texting me pictures of the crowd from Bandamere. It There's pandemonium out there. There's no, no nitro cars to be found. No jet cars. This is like some dudes with street cars. I mean, and some of them are like fairly rudimentary back half. Like they're not super trick. That's not like a bunch of the latest, greatest, you know, RJ, Jerry Bickle Haas cars out there. I mean, there are those, but they're kind of few and far between. Yeah. And people can't, people, people like
1: the street outlaw stuff because they can relate to it. You know, for the longest time after um, chief got his new car, I mean, he had panels on the thing that didn't even match. It was like three different colors. And they're like, man, that looks like my car that I've got, you know, out in the backyard, that's been my project car for the last 10 years. I think that I can make my car like that car, you know? And then, and, and then they fall in love with these, you know, call them characters, you know, the drivers on the show. So when they do have these, uh, these events, these live TV events like that, they fill the stands because people are so invested in their drivers. Like they, they are passionate about their drivers and that's why that's why they've done so well. Nobody can relate to a funny car. Nobody's going to look at that and think that they could build that or that they could drive that or have anything to do with it at any point in their life. But when people can relate to what they're seeing on TV, it's, it's just a whole different connection. And they may not even realize it.
0: It's not even a choice that they're making. It's just happening. You know? Agreed, man. It is. It's like a subconscious thing that it just seems... I think it feels sometimes like the dream is still alive for Pro Mod and, you know, radial tire racing. I mean, I think there are some guys sitting around in the no prep scene. There are some dudes that tonight, after they get off work, are going to sit around somebody's shop and drink some beer and dream about going no prep racing right of like 100%. man if if i sell this and if you know you do this you know i'll buy a motor and and jerry's going to buy us a race car or we're going to use his old top sport you know what i mean like those things those conversations are still being had whereas i don't know that there's any dude sitting around right now scheming about how they're going to go nitro funny car racing like it's just <laughs> so far gone that uh. that dream has been extinct and i don't it it's kind of just a harsh reality, man, that it's so far gone. It's drag racing's ver- version, excuse me, of Formula One. It's just beyond beyond any possibility of really being able to do that. It, it's tough, you know, and I applaud the people that are fighting that fight and are are trying to, you know, achieve that dream. And I'm sure there will be some that prove me wrong, but, man, it really feels like there's something happening special, a little bit of lightning in a bottle with all these door slammer, uh, drag racing categories. It's exciting time, man. It really is. I'm curious about your fall. You're obviously going to contend for the NHRA pro stock world championship. So you're going to have your hands full six more races on the NHRA tour, but are you planning to return to Valdosta this fall? Are you, you got some no prep things on, on your uh, horizon? What's, what's the end of the season look like for you, Alex? Well,
1: I, I am going to go to, um, the no mercy race, um, they're in Valdosta. It's, it's actually the weekend of the Dallas pro stock race, which is a very, very important race, obviously. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be risky here. Um, hey, tell me about this. People are going to love this. <laughs> I I'm, I'm going to go into Valdosta on, you know, Wednesday, Thursday and start qualifying in my radio car. And then I'm going to fly from there back to Dallas And qualify my pro stock car on Friday. Um, Donald Bong has agreed to run RVW eliminations on Saturday in Georgia. So I'll leave Friday night from, uh, from Dallas, go back to Valdosta, run the race all day Saturday. So I'm going to miss the two rounds of pro stock qualifying there in Dallas on Saturday while I'm racing in Georgia. And then I'll fly back to Dallas again for pro stock eliminations on Sunday. Holy crap tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm sure that that but, but, hey, All man, I hope to you. is that it doesn't come down to me losing the championship by two or three points that I could have earned uh, being, you know, the fastest car in qualifying on Saturday in Dallas. So if it comes down to that, that's going to be pretty sickening. Um, it, it's that's happened plenty of times in the past, you know, for a lot of different people, but uh, hopefully we've got you know, a good leader in a really good spot, um, there that, uh, that I feel better about it. So, but the bottom line is I'm doing it. The decision's made and, uh, I'm going to go race for $50,000 over there and then try to You know, win the Pro Stock Championship at the same time.
0: Well, what a story to tell, man! That's the type of stuff that just drag racers are probably like the only people that do this stuff. I mean, it's it's (laughs) madness, man. But hey, you know, that's I think it says a lot about Donald's race and what he's built down there. I know he's a polarizing character that people tend to love or hate, but. The fact of the matter is that race, those races in Valdosta, Georgia, are needle movers. People pay attention. It's important. Thousands and thousands of people show up. Millions of people pay attention around the world. So I, I really, I, hey, man, I honestly can't blame you. I don't know that it's tough. There's so many races going on right now that some of these overlaps are basically unavoidable.
1: Right. Yeah, and that's, and that's just the way it is. You know, I've been fighting it for the last several years, you know, not getting to go to plenty of races that— that I did want to, but it does, like you said, it does say a lot about what Donald is doing with his races because five years ago, if you told me you have one wish before you die, what would it be? And I would tell you to let the clutch out on a pro stock car. That is the one thing that I wanted to do. And here I am a few years later going to leave a national
0: event <laughs> to go race, you know, oh, in a radial tire car in Georgia It is crazy, <laughs> so. man. It is crazy. Well, hey, dude, I know you've got to go. You've got to run. I appreciate you spending all this time with us. There's actually a ton more that we could talk about, and I'd love to uh, have you here on the show a little bit more in the future to talk about, you know, to maybe give some tips to these guys about, you know, these guys and gals that that listen all the time about how to get sponsors and the things that you do and the lessons that you've learned. But I want to make sure we talked a little bit about just drag racing here today. So thanks again, Alex, man. I really appreciate it, buddy. And I guess I'll see you in in Redding. Yep, I'll be there. All right, brother. Thanks a bunch. All right. Thanks, Wes.